This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here with another great episode, guys. We have Mr. Jason Hardy from Ohio on the line. Now, we had Jason back on episode number 76. Um, they have uh, 150 or so, 170 or so now acres down in Ohio. And we are catching up with Jason. He's just another habitat nerd like the rest of us. Awesome guy. And catching up to see what, the, what he's been up to down there, the projects he's been working on. Um, it's a good, you know, fall and summer-related habitat conversation here with Jason Hardy. So, Stick to it, guys. We have Jason coming up from Hardy Brothers Outdoors. I want to thank the listeners for your support. We are, you know, shipping out some shirts and hats recently, which is awesome. Thank you guys for picking those up. Um, you know, your support means a lot to us. And, you know, if you want to wear our, our brand on your T-shirt, that's very cool to us. And uh, we're going to keep shipping those out. So thank you guys very much. All that can be found at HabitatPodcast.com. Now, I want to uh, mention that we are sending out the free decals for good reviews. If you scroll down, you'll see a link in the show notes below to leave us a good review, and we'd love to get you a 5-inch Habitat podcast decal. Those help us remain at the top of the charts here in the podcast world, you know, in the world that, that that we study and we try to, you know, grow with. So thank you for that. That helps us out. You know, a five star review and a short paragraph below really means a lot. I'd like to thank our partner, Morse Nursery. You know, Frank and I have been meaning to get together. We're going to do it here soon about how we go about planting trees, him and I both, you know, where to lay them out on the property, things to consider. But while we're waiting to get that done, I want to bring up the fact that it's already August, and you should start thinking about trees you want to get on order for spring of 2022. I know it seems early, guys, but all these nurseries out there, a lot of them sell out by the time spring gets here. So people, you know, Charlie always told me to place your orders in the fall, have an idea what you want, and and just so you're not, you know, sitting there spinning your wheels in the spring when the certain aged tree or the certain rootstock tree is missing. So we got all ours at Morse Nursery, you know, morsenursery.com. He's got the tree survival kit, which helps guarantee the survivability of your tree. And if not, Frank will replace them. We have a code, 10% off, and free shipping. 
with Frank at Morris Nursery, and that code is Habitat10, Habitat10. So, guys, that'll save you some money. Think about your trees. Start thinking about it. Get your order kind of ready or a list of things you want to do just so, you know, it's not too late and, and people sell out. So keep that in mind. Um, if you want to order from Morris and, and help support Frank over there, his website is morrisnursery.com. And, uh, you know, we look forward to doing more with Frank and, and showing off some of the cool bits of knowledge that he knows on, on some tree planting tips here soon. I'd also like to thank Packer Max Cultipackers. Killer Food Plots, Exodus Trail Cameras, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Guys, thanks so much. Let's get right into it now with Jason Hardy from Hardy Brothers Outdoors. All right, guys. We are back. We have a returning guest, Mr. Jason Hardy, on the line today. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, Jared. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for hopping on here. I know, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of uh, our summer, our little vacation here. We're camping, so if you guys hear any diesel trucks or seagulls, that's probably what's going on. But um, wanted to catch back up with you. We had you on episode 76, so it's about time to get you back on. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you having me back on. It feels like forever ago, back to 76. Where, where are you now? 125, something like that. Uh, we're about to hit 140, so yeah, there you, there you go. The halfway mark, every 75 episodes or so, we'll get you back. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'll take uh, it. Yeah, well, you're you're not just sitting around doing nothing either. So I mean, obviously we're we're buddies of friends on Facebook, and so I see the projects you're up to. Um, the last the last podcast you had just purchased and, and started working on your your Ohio property called the Habitat Oasis, right? Yeah, yeah, um, we've we've been working on that, you know solid now for about two and a half years so yes sir yes sir and then you, your hardy brothers outdoors uh your youtube channel that's doing phenomenal kudos to you there thanks a lot it is it's taken taken off we're we're definitely happy with uh the progress we're making there and the direction it's headed so it's good and you know i guess the same congrats to you that uh habitat podcast has really branched out with habitat chat which i think is a great group on facebook that you guys have done a nice job of keeping it um, informative and the uh, the conflict down. <laughs> Anytime you get the group together, you're going to have a little conflict of uh, opinions, but for the most part, it's well in control and a lot of good information there. So big congrats to you guys as well. No, thank you, Jason. We appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're um, turning and burning over here. Keep pumping out the content for the listeners, and, and we're learning a ton along the way. And yeah, that, that chat group, Habitat Chat on Facebook, I'm going to plug it since you brought it up. Thank you. Um, everybody should check that out. There's more information on there than than my brain can handle daily. Like, I'm looking at these posts going, holy cow. It's just a, a wealth of knowledge with their, you know, I think there's like 1,700, 1,800 people on there now, and um, all Habitat nerds like us, you know. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm amazed at the – I guess the range of knowledge that, I mean, there are some guys there that, I mean, this is what they do for a living right? and and the information they can share all the way down to, you know, and I I classify myself as, you know, the complete other end of the spectrum that I'm soaking it up as opposed to uh, the guy with 20 years experience of of doing different things. And it's just a great mix to hear, you know, what's the guy who does this every day? How does he do it? And how does the guy that, does this every other weekend or the one weekend he can make it to his property every month. And it's just a great balance. Yeah. And I think, um, I'm one of those guys that soaks it up too. You know, I'm, I'd chime in, but at the same time, there's a lot more people out there that are smarter than me that I like learning from. So it's, it's pretty neat. And I think, um, you know, between that, your YouTube channel with all kinds of good content on there, we're, uh, we're busy guys. And, you actually, I just saw some news congratulating on it not, not long ago. You're actually expanding your your Habitat Oasis, your Ohio property. Is that right? Let's, let's get into that. Yeah, that is. That's exciting, you know, the, man. Wow. It, 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 I'm beside myself. It's, um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you go back to, 
you know, my background, you know, for those who didn't hear the other episode, you know, I grew up hunting in, I grew up in central Ohio, hunting with family in, uh, outside Parkersburg, West Virginia, and spent about 40 years hunting there. Uh, I own property down there, just a small, uh, place with a cabin on it, adjacent to family property. And when I bought that place, I thought, you know, I can't imagine ever going anywhere but there. I'd done it for so long. Well, then Josh bought his place in southeast Ohio. I started hunting there with him. He bought 70 acres. Together, we bought another 80 acres, which took us to 150. And the dynamic in West Virginia started changing. Some of the people that were coming there weren't coming as often. I was spending more and more time with Josh at uh, in southeast Ohio, staying at his place every weekend, making myself a permanent uh, guest. And I started looking a couple years ago for a property that I could purchase um, close by, and I wasn't I wasn't content with being close. I either wanted something that touched the property or was like across the road, right up and down. So I literally on my phone, I have a list of everybody who owned property on the road. And I've been bugging them for the last two years about, you know, who's willing to sell. And the market down there is so hot. Stuff comes up and it sells in days. The the neighbor purchased a property up the road and he was going to resell it to me. And this was, I don't know, January, February. And I, I turned him down and I was kind of kicking myself I'm being awfully picky. This thing's a mile away, and I just turned down an opportunity to buy something a mile away when stuff's just not coming up. True. And about about and, a month. And real real quick, what does that look like when you when you're bugging your neighbors? Are you shooting them texts? Are you writing them letters? Are you knocking on their door? Give us a I, quick rundown of what that looks like. Yeah, I I wrote letters. I made phone calls where I could find phone numbers. I stopped and knocked on doors. And just, you know, any way I could get in touch with people and just, hey, before you sell, here's who I am. I live next door. I'm not an investor. I'm not looking to um, change your property. You know, a lot of people are concerned that if uh, you know, I sell my property, you're going to parse it up and there's going to be a housing community here that I want to keep it the way you remember it. I just want a place to bring my family. So I was talking to everybody I could and uh, thought I had 80 acres locked up. And it ended up being sold to a guy who had bought another parcel off this same owner. So I missed out on that. But um, I finally got the place. Things were selling so fast, I found something about two miles away. And I just decided I'm going to buy it. That it may not be what I want, but I can buy it and sell it down the road. But I, I want something. So I made plans with the realtor. And I was going to go see it the next day. And I called the, a neighbor and I said, hey, Rob, tomorrow I'm going to go buy a place. Unless there's something wrong with it, I'm buying it. And before I do, I want to know that you're not interested in selling. I don't want to come back in two weeks and it's for sale or two months. I just want to let you know. And he assured me they weren't selling. We're not going anywhere. But if I was, what would you give me? <laughs> there's the question. You've been looking yeah. So I threw a number at him, and he said, yeah, I don't, I don't, we're just not in a spot to do it. And I said, well, I'd give you a year to move. I said, you can live there rent-free. I just know I've got it locked up a year from now. Yeah, that's interesting, but nah. I said, okay, well, when we hang up, I'm calling Megan next door, the next house up, and I'm making her the same offer. And he said, well. See what you find out. Let's just stay in touch. So I called Megan, and Megan gave me the same assurance. And I was I was fairly certain they weren't going anywhere. And while I was talking to her, Rob beat back in, left me a message, call me. Called him back, and I said, I just called my wife, and uh, come down. We're ready to go. So wow. I was able to go down three days later. We we agreed to terms. They're still there. They're going to move out, and uh, they want to have their uh, Thanksgiving there in November. But um, it was just – yeah, exactly. I said, you know, I, I can wait, and it's quicker than the 12 months that I had offered. Awesome. But it was just a situation, you know, from a hot market. Had that house gone on the market and, – and he knew that I was interested, so I, I wouldn't see that it's selling out from under me. But had it gone on, on market, you then get in a situation where you end up in a bidding war. Uh, you know, what are all the dynamics that come into play there? And it was really just a matter of figuring out a plan that uh, met their needs, which was he has 
buildings and and tons of stuff. He's like, I got to get stuff off the property. I can't, you know, this isn't a 30, 60 day move. This is months. So it worked out. Um, but it's, you walk down Josh's driveway, you cross the road and that's where this new 22 acres starts. Um, good timber on it. It's almost solid timber. I'd say it's, you know, 21 of the 22 acres is timbered. Uh, on the left side of the property, as you look at it, is it's owned by the people who sold Josh their property. They own 140 acres and they've told us, you know, you're welcome to hunt it. You're welcome to use it. So it, it's really ties right into that on the other sides of property that the neighbors don't, they don't hunt. Um, so it's, it's kind of a low pressured area and off the back, off the back, there's an, a neighbor that, um, it's a little bit of a Brown, it's down property and, uh, might be tough to change there, the, the thinking there, but, um, it's just a great piece of property. It's, it's nice. It ties right into Josh's property right across the road. It's got about a thousand square foot cabin house on it. And um, when I look back at West Virginia and how much I love West Virginia, and I had questions. I, I built the cabin there from the ground up of, am I really ready to sell? And now I'm like, how soon can I sell it? That it's just when it's right, it's right, and uh, you're ready to make the move. So we're really excited to have the additional acreage under management and oh, – uh, and very different. The Habitat Oasis was strip mined, so it's acres and acres of rolling fields that are really covered in invasive. And this is 21 acres of hardwoods, so wow. it's a very, very different um, uh, property than the majority. Josh has some some good stands of hardwoods on his original 70, and we've got some some on the 80. But this is when I looked at it, it doesn't look like it's been timbered in you know 30, 40, 50 years. Um, there's still, there's some good timber on it. So I haven't spent a lot of time on it. Um, I need to get out and get it marked. I want to get a forester in there to give me a timber basis, give me a timber plan so I can take advantage of some tax savings programs. But, um, yeah, really excited about, uh, expanding it. Well, Hey, congratulations. And that, you know, like you said, beside yourself, I get it. That would be amazing to be able to pull that off right across the street from your brother's place, your own property too. Like that's, that's huge. Now you have a spot to stay, you have a home base. Um, you know, I'm sure Josh will let you crash on his house forever, but <laughs> at the same time, it's good to, it's good to get your own space. And yeah, 22 acres of hardwoods will shoot, get a plan on there, drop those taxes, make some money off the first timber cut, create better habitat. I mean, I'm already seeing the the benefits here. Uh, I, I'm I'm psyched about it. Just the the idea going in there and and on that side of the road, there's not a lot of there's a lot of timber on that side of the road. So already looking at maps, trying to figure out you know where's the right spot to create that little opening in the woods that uh, becomes kind of a a honey hole for uh, bringing the deer into a secluded field where they can they can feed or whatever. So pretty pretty psyched about it. Yeah, well, good job on that play with the neighbors too. Um, well done. That's like a, uh, pr- that's like a great sales technique or, or uh, you know, there's some thought put into that, you know, the, the final offer before the move down the road, put some pressure on them. And, and I'm sure, you know, they're making a good dollar on the property. So everybody's happy, right? I mean, it's, you know, it was one, it was really, it was weird when I went to uh, put the final details together with them because I felt like, man, I'm getting a huge win. This is exactly what I wanted. And they had rehabbed this cabin over the last eight years. It's, um, it, it was a complete rehab that new wiring, new insulation, everything in this cabin is new that uh, the guy who lives there has done. And I thought, man, I, this is a huge win for me. And as I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, I said to his wife, I said, Tina, I can't tell you just how excited I am about this. And she looks at me and she goes, you don't know how excited we are. She's like, we are getting what we want. We're going to move up with his parents to help take care of them. We're closer to work. It was time for us, and we're just thrilled we're selling it to someone who cares about it like you do. So it was such a win-win, and, um, yeah, it's just really, really exciting. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, and and you're right across the street from your your 150, the Habitat Oasis. Let's talk about what you've been doing there recently. I know we have a, a few things here we can cover, but how's it going down there? It looks like you've been 
working hard, that's for sure. It, it is it's it is nonstop, and I, I look at um, I've really had about ten acres that I've been focused on of that uh, that back eighty that was strip mined. Uh, I was a little overwhelmed when I looked at the whole piece to say you know, how do I how do I try to convert this whole thing? So I started focusing on about ten acres, and uh, you know it's it's coming along. We've had you know you mentioned the the YouTube channel. We we've done native trees, bushes, and shrubs. I think we've planted. Jeez, between three and four hundred. Which, when I look at what some of the guys are doing, fifteen hundred. I don't know how they do it, but um, we we put in a lot of native trees, bushes, and shrubs. We did that as part of. Um, I, we've mentioned a couple times that we're partnering with everybody we can from an agency standpoint: Soil and Water, Ohio Department of Natural Resources, USDA, Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation. Everybody that we can get knowledge from, we're leveraging. And through USDA, we set up an equip contract that is helping with the cost of uh, planting those native trees, bushes, and shrubs. I was there checking them this last weekend, peeking down all the tubes to see what's alive and what's not. And for the most part, um, real happy with the survival rate. So those are coming along. We created um, the, the property. I mentioned it's it's a uh, reclaimed strip mine. When you think about uh, – uh, early successional habitat. This property was strip mined back in the 70s. So when you think about a property that's left alone, what it should have done in the last 50 years, you would expect all that, you know, early, mid, late successional stuff to have happened. Or and this sure. property, yeah, this property, it hasn't. When you look around, there's there's trees that may be 30 feet tall, but for most part, it's just remained this open field that's very much covered in autumn olive and Cerisia lespedeza now. And the more we learn about it, it's the, the best way I can describe it is if you, you know, imagine someone came in and stripped everything off, the, you know, all the soil off your land, poured concrete, and then gave you 12 inches of soil on top of that. And that's what we've got. Some places it's 12 inches, some places it's an inch, some places it might be three feet if you find a, a low spot. But it's not, you know, really deep, great ground. And so when you're looking at what to plant, every one of the trees, bushes, and shrubs that we've planted is something that's got a shallow spreading root system because a taproot just doesn't make it through that layer that's like concrete. And that's part of why you haven't seen a lot of that succession over the years, that a tree will grow up and it just only would get 12 feet, 16 feet tall. So it's been really interesting. Um, as part of that, we planted... Um, you know, your partner, Morse Nursery, we got uh, a couple of their big buck packs. So we planted between uh, a couple different locations, 22 or 24 chestnuts and persimmon. Just went out and checked those, and and we got a couple persimmon that are struggling along. I won't call them uh, a failure yet, but the majority of them have done really, really well. We've got stuff that – we've got five-foot tubes, and, and these things have added – a foot of growth in the last, what is it, three months since we put them in the ground? So they're they're taking off. We're real pleased with uh, with those trees and and what those are looking like. Very nice. Yeah, I feel um, you know Charlie and Frank over at the Morse team. They they have some quality trees. I know I know they have some some you know, struggles this year getting some trees out and, and orders fulfilled, but they're just growing so fast and, and it's crazy. So Frank and I are actually going to get together and, and do some video work here soon. Um, just glad to hear that yeah, yours are doing well. I think the tubes are important as well. I know that you know my chestnuts that I planted are shooting out of the tubes as well. Um, yeah, it's just if you can picture it, you know, ten years down the road, it just makes me fired up. You know, that that's the thing I keep looking at. I'm like when I there will there will come a day that. I got a favorite spot on top of the hill where you can just see across the the habitat oasis. I'm like, this view is going to be so different down the road. It's gonna it's gonna be amazing. And I'm I'm pretty sold on the tubes as well. Just they seem to promote the growth, and there's certainly a layer of protection that um, from the deer and and uh, other animals potentially damaging them. But yeah, I was I was a little disappointed to see. You know, I was trying to give some positive PR to to Morse and. I know some people had some troubles with the with shipping. My experience with them has been phenomenal. We uh, we were actually 
um, missing. We, we made a, a late change in our order, and as a result, there was some confusion in what we got. I contacted. Um, oh shoot! Why can't I think it? Uh, not Charlie. Um, Frank. Frank. I contacted Frank, and we had the replacement or the additional trees like two days later. So awesome. from my perspective, knowing that they're a, a small operation, um, the responsiveness we got out of them, absolutely awesome. I, I won't hesitate to buy from them again. That no, we're, we're yeah, same here. And, and he's just – Frank's full of knowledge for being a young guy. Um, it's awesome to see how knowledgeable he is. We interviewed him a while back, probably going to have him on again soon. Um because everybody should start probably thinking about their their tree orders for next year right now, but um, yeah, it's good to hear. I'm glad that you're you know having good results there, and I mean you're even have having results along the lines of winning habitat like conservation awards, right? Yeah. I saw that stuff going on. I'm like, what? Yeah, we, amazing. <laughs> that was a complete shock to us when you you look back at at our history. We we started this with just the selfish idea that we were going to grow, put in a few food plots, grow some bigger <laughs> bucks for ourselves, and that was that was it. It was completely self-serving. And as we started getting uh, connected with these different organizations, and they started explaining some things to us of you know here's what's available to help you, here's what's going on with your property. Uh, honestly, Habitat Podcast, I, I said it the last time, completely changed my perspective on what I was doing out there from a just how do I get a bigger buck to how do I make things better out here, you know, in general. And so we started doing more and more projects and got involved with the USDA and we were doing the YouTube channel and we were sharing some updates with them, shooting a video every now and then to them and said, Hey, you know, here's, here's the trees we planted. Here's this. Um, what do you think? And they called us up one day and said, Hey, um, we're getting ready to recognize some people in 2020 and we want to recognize you as the cooperator of the year for everything you've done. And we were, we were totally floored because that was so not anywhere on our radar. Um, but pretty exciting that, uh, you know, normally they do a banquet, but with, with 2020, the way it was, um, we went over and got a, a private ceremony and got a sign. And, but it was, it was pretty cool to, um, to pick that up. And then uh, through the relationships that we've developed with organizations, I got a call from uh, the biologist we work with from Ohio Department of Natural Resources and said, do you, do you mind if I pass your name along to the local chapter of Pheasants Forever? They're looking for someone to partner with and donate some seed. Part of their, char their charter requires that they help with conservation projects. So he connected me with Pheasants Forever in the Athens, Washington County, which is southeast Ohio as well. Um, that chapter, they've provided us with some switchgrass seed to help with some uh, stuff, some projects we're doing. And as part of those conversations, they found out what we were doing and said, look, we're doing our banquet later this year, and we don't have anyone um, that's doing projects like you're doing right now. Can we recognize you? So we picked up a, a Habitat Award from the Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever chapter there in southeast Ohio in a Polaris Habitat Stewardship Award at the same banquet. So completely, completely off the radar for us, but certainly nice to get some recognition for for what we're doing. And it was, you know, so, so not on the list of things we were, we were chasing. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, to have – you know, the partnerships you're making and the resources at hand and then, you know, showing that you're actually following through with a lot of the projects, that's huge. I think a lot of people, um, you know, get the, get the ideas and, and get a list together, but to put forth all the work and get it done is, is another story. So um, that, that's very good one to of the, see. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the comments the biologist said is we do so many of these visits and we either never hear back or when we stop back, nothing's been done. And uh, – yeah, it's it's good stuff, and it, it's I, I give a lot of credit to I don't know the the, the Facebook page, the, your, your Habitat Chat, and the the overall podcast. You know, being around people of like interest that are sharing ideas is certainly and sharing successes very motivating. No, I couldn't agree more, and, and and thank you for that. That's that's very nice. Now, 
what projects have you been working on recently at the Habitat Oasis? So, like, tell me what your summers look like and, and what your fall's looking like there on the uh, the Oasis. Yeah, the a lot of the projects, just due to the, the scale of what we have back there, the projects remain the same. We just kind of continue to expand. The Autumn Olive, uh, we are just wrapping up about three acres of Autumn Olive that we're, we're clearing. Uh, again, a, US, a USDA equip project. And I just actually posted today on Habitat Chat a, um, a video where I'm out there talking that Geez, the, the, the list goes on and on. It all and it all links together. I over the winter I planted uh, switchgrass, kind of following the Jeff Sturgis approach to to how to um, get a switchgrass stand started. I planted an acre of pollinators. So this weekend I was out there doing some mowing. So trying to uh, the switchgrass, mowing it fairly short to try to keep it competitive with uh, any weeds that are growing up. The pollinators, the biologist has said, you know, let them get thigh high, let them get thigh high, and then mow them to knee high. So I was cutting those down, uh, trimmed up a few clover fields, and as I was doing it, um, I'm riding along on the tractor, a little discouraged with, I don't know, I guess probably maybe more my impatience than anything, that not having instant results. And I got off the tractor and started doing some walking around of the autumn olive that we've cleared. Um, the pollinators that I planted and just snapping pictures. And the more I walked around, the more I saw little bits and pieces where, you know, some signs of success. And that three acres of autumn olive, a lot of um, bergamot, wild bergamot coming up in that. And that's something we haven't planted at all. But by removing that autumn olive, we got the sun to some areas that hadn't seen sun. And some of the stuff in the seed bank has taken off. And when you just look at it by itself, it's it looks good, but it's still not you know huge success. So in that video, I I go about 75 yards away to an area we haven't touched, and you look around and there's nothing. There's very few flowers. There's just there's no bees. There's no butterflies. Which for me, I'm of the mindset that that's where it starts. That if if you can get things started for the bees and butterflies and the bugs everything up the food chain is going to be successful. So we're going to continue on those projects. I've got some spraying that I need to do to try to knock back the Ceresia. Um, a lot of mowing this time of year. The Ceresia, uh, it goes to seed in September. So if you can cut it down before it goes to seed, it starts to break that cycle. Uh, I've got some clover that I want to um, overseed a couple fields hitting a couple areas still in the next month or so with IMOX to knock back uh, some of the weeds and grasses that are in the existing clover fields. We've talked about, do we add a few more trees uh, this fall? So there's the potential to do that. Um, I'm looking here at my list of, of what all we've got going on. The Bee and Butterfly Habitat Fund, I'm, I'm still prepping. I'd like to do another acre of pollinators and just trying to get that area the more weed free it is uh the more success we're going to have there so yeah i, I want to hear a little bit more about that jason um, you're one of the only guys that i personally know um i think kevin fry here in michigan has worked with them as well but like tell me about uh, how it's coming along um you know I, I know if you've heard our podcast with elsa gallagher everybody should go back and listen to that one three seed two acre minimum pollinator mix clover mix it's huge. I love the program. But, like, how, how is it actually going? It, it is, you know, for, from a program standpoint, you're right, absolutely awesome. Elsa, I know you spent an hour talking to her. She is a wealth of knowledge and, and a great person to work with, as is Pete, which is uh, the other biologist. And uh, they, they have been great. Um, my success, the, the honeybee portion, the clover has come up really well. Uh, the challenge I've got there is there's such a seed bank for me of Ceresia, and I hate to keep saying Ceresia, but it is, it's just a nightmare to control. There's so much seed in the seed bank, and the only way to kill it is to kill your clover at the same time. My biggest challenge, the, the, the honeybee mix, awesome. I've got it up in my uh, apple trees, uh, kind of did a horseshoe around some native warm season grasses to provide um, some, some bedding area 
um, in the native warm season grasses with some clover right outside of it. I look at it from a result standpoint, really happy with what I've gotten from the seed mix, not happy with the weeds that I'm trying to control in the Ceresia. But that area has, has come along really well. The other, and I, I committed to two acres of honeybee mix and two acres of pollinator. I got one acre of pollinator in this last winter, and I told him I wanted to hold off on the other because I didn't feel like I had weeds quite under control. Uh, that was the area I was mowing. And it's one of those that as I'm mowing, I'm seeing some flowers in there and some things coming up. So I know that it's it's coming along. It's not the the, the beautiful field of wildflowers that, that I want, but that's really not a good expectation in year one. So I'm going to continue to try to follow the direction they give in terms of mowing and maintenance of it. And hopefully next year we see it's it's thicker. But they, they've been great to work with once you establish a relationship. They're swamped. They're, they're two biologists covering 13 states, coordinating the program. They do every aspect of this. Uh, they've done webinars here in Ohio. I helped coordinate one with a couple of the uh, ODNR resources I work with. Um, they're, they're just swamped. But once you get connected with them and get a project, they're definitely there to um, – to help you and answer questions. They're real responsive in email. They just put out a pollinator guide. If you go out to their their website, and I'm going to pull up the website just to get the URL right. Um, yeah, it's just uh, beeandbutterflyfun.org. If you go to their website, they've got a habitat guide out there that is a great guide. You know, Even if you're not uh, you're not sure what you want to do, it will give you a good sense for, you know, what am I really signing up for? Um, it's not a government program. I think I signed a contract with them that that basically said, you know, I'm going to do my best to be successful. I'm not going to go out and spray this thing with glyphosate and do stuff that's clearly detrimental. And, and if I do, um, you know, potentially they could come and say, hey, you owe us for the seed. But they're looking for people that are good-intentioned, and are willing to put in the work. So I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, I'm, it's, we're headed in the right direction, and I'm hoping that year two the pollinators really take off, which is, is kind of what we should expect. Awesome. Yeah, I know you guys have been fighting that Cerisia forever, and uh, I'm sure that's putting a damper on, on things, but I'm sure you get through it. And, and like you said, you know, else and the team over there, the fact that they're looking for people long-term and, and just people that fit their program. You know, like, are they actually going to ever send you an invoice if you if you spread it all? Probably not. But at the same time, people who listen to this show aren't going to spread it all anyway. So, it's, yeah, it's a great program. And it's just good to hear that you're enjoying it and that it's working out. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer of, you know, I love working with find, – find good people to work with. And, you know, it's – it goes a long way, and, and and that's where I would classify Pete and Elsa. They're just good people, passionate about what they do, and you know, for for the people that are listening to the podcast and, and that are part of this community that um, that you're talking to, that are passionate about what they're doing, it's just a, a, two more resources that are passionate and willing to help. And they cover 13 states. If you're in a state that they don't cover, um, they I, I'm almost certain they will sell you seed. And you can get seed from them in a manner that's cheaper than going to uh, elsewhere to get it. You know, pollinator seed is not cheap. And part of what they've done is figured out how to put together the right mixes so that you can have a successful field without it being a $600 bag of seed. So, Oh, it's so um, expensive. You're not kidding. And there's, I mean, it's extremely expensive. Yes. Yeah. So they're they're a resource that I would I would encourage people if you look at the map and and you see that my state is not covered, shoot them an email and if you if you're really interested in, in planting and just quickly explain to them, Hey, I, I'm in this state, I know you don't provide uh free seed here, but I'd really be interested in any advice you can give and potentially buying some seed through you and uh I'm I'm almost certain they would they would jump the opportunity to help. Great advice, Jason. Thanks for that. I think um, 
you know, where I want to go next. You went on a vacation, or well, a couple of them recently, um, and you mentioned something about natives, non-natives, and invasives. Tell me a little bit more about that. I know it's always a, a hot topic in any chat group, any habitat group. You still there? Yeah, can you hear me oh, okay? There we go. There you go. Yep, lost you for a second. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, the, the the different groups, being that we are so covered in invasives, and again, we came into this with no thought of invasive, non-native, natives, and as we've started working on it and learning more in the, the work we're doing to remove some of the autumn olive, and, and again, you're right, there, there's different viewpoints on it of, you know, some people, hey, it's the best cover out there, others just hate it. And we're trying to – we know we'll never get rid of it all, but we're trying to reduce what's there. And it's it's kind of created a perspective for me, and I've heard from different people. There's there's a lot of things out there that you can purchase to plant. And everybody has to make the decision of, you know, how strict you want to be. And, and there are people that are just hardcore, you know, planting nothing but natives. And others that they've got natives and non-natives, and they're avoiding invasives. And – I've become very conscious that, for the most part, because of the work we're putting in with natives, uh, removing invasives, I'm trying to stick to as many natives as possible. That part of the reason we're covered in in some the Ceresia is because it was a recommended plant back in the 70s that it would provide soil stability. And there's there's a long list of those plants that are are viewed as safe that down the road become much more invasive for one reason or another. And people are kicking themselves saying, why did I, you know, the, the DNR or the USDA recommended this, and here's where we're at. So I'm trying to stick with natives, but I was in the in the late winter, I was looking for some red twig dogwood. I wanted to propagate some. And rather than going and buying a bunch, I thought, if I can find someone around that's got some cuttings, I'd love to start some. So I drove through my neighborhood, the next neighborhood, the next neighborhood, and I think I saw two of them in all the neighborhoods, that when you look from house to house, people are not planting natives. And I started reaching out to some communities on Facebook, asking people, does anyone have some that I can get? And I was amazed at how few people said, yeah, I've got some, come get it. So it's just, it made me conscious of, we're doing a lot of stuff that's non-native, not necessarily invasive. Well, then I went on vacation, and I was out in Montana in some of the back, kind of backcountry areas, where there's a lot of natives and there's just flowers everywhere. We were we were in a my son and I did a hike and there's an area of uh of the forest there that's being managed for timber which a lot of times you don't see in a public forest that uh people are very opposed to cutting trees. And you walked in and it it had been thinned real well. There was a lot of sun getting to the ground. There were wildflowers everywhere. And it was just a really cool sight to look at that and see they're properly managing this forest that, you know, every tree doesn't have to be saved and the result that it created underneath it. So Montana was just just a really cool environment when you saw all of the all of the natives and the things that were growing out in these these the wilderness. Then I headed to the Keys and uh, I spent a week down there and they've got an issue down there with uh, iguanas. And depending on what you read, they're they're classified as you know, clearly non-native, but they're classified as invasive on some pages, and others do not refer to them as invasives. But when you drive down the road, they're absolutely everywhere, and many of them are are assumed to be escaped and pets that have just been turned loose. And when I would drive down the road and see this, I thought, you know, the the person who let their pet, their non-native animal, go probably never imagined that when you drove down the road, you'd see 50 of these over the next mile. And they were just everywhere. And it just really hit me of, you know, what what are we doing on our property? Uh, you know, when we put something out there that is non-native, are we sure that it's never going to create problems down the road for us? So it was just a, a really interesting, different perspective when I saw these things everywhere and talked to people who said, they will come in, they'll wipe out your garden, they eat the bugs and um, things that native species 
uh, thrive on, which makes it tougher for the native species. It was just a, a, a very different perspective. So um, when I saw it, it, just, it hit me as something I'm like, I, we're on the right track. I'm still not you know, 100% that everything has to be, and we got a lot of clover, which is non-native, that everything has to be completely native, but I try to make native as my, my first choice whenever I can. No, you have a great point there, and excuse this uh, lawnmower that just showed up to mow the <laughs> campsite next to us, I swear. That's, that's my luck. That's all right. Um, no, I know, and, and to your point, you know, with our land plan services, we're not we're not pushing invasives or non-natives. You know, we don't want anything that will bite a landowner, you, me, anyone, you know, in the rear in the future. We want to make good recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I believe a lot of the decisions people make are out of true ignorance, you know, and in, in using the term ignorance in the most proper thing is just not knowing, you know, it's not, it's not stupidity. It's, it's just ignorance that I, I didn't realize this was an issue. And I, I look at my own lawn. Al made a comment to me one day about uh, – I was talking about one of my neighbors trying to uh, save the fawn that was hiding in the woods behind us. And he's like, yeah, there's a, probably the same people that are have their yard full of this, this, and this. And I'm like, I got a couple of those that were planted 20 years ago that um, I had no idea. So I think – Bradford pear, calorie pear. I've got some. Uh, uh, oh, what the heck are they? They're not pear trees. Um, shoot, I can't think of what they are. Red bushes. Um, barberry, red barberry. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I've got a couple of those on the side of the house, and I keep looking at them, saying, "I gotta, I need to remove them." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I would it, be happy if you did. He, he would, he would. Um, so yeah, when he threw that out, and I'm like. I look around at the neighbors and I'm like, you know, most of the most people are doing stuff. It's at the it's at the local nursery. They're seeing it on a website. They're hearing it from others, and they're they're taking the what they know at that time. They're acting on it, and you know, don't find out or may never find out that you know that's not a a plant that you really want to promote. So, um, so I think that's that's part of what we're doing with the, the Habitat Oasis project is some of it's just some education that as someone else heads down the path, we're learning a lot. We're making a lot of mistakes and, you know, learn from, learn from what others are, are going through as you start your project. So. That's exactly what we're doing here at the podcast too. I think, you know, a lot of people start out these projects on their property with, with a food plot, right? And then, now look what we're talking about today. I mean, we haven't even talked about food plots yet. And right. it's like once you make that transition into a you know a habitat manager, if you will, um, which I think all of our listeners do, they start in the beginning and they make that shift, make that focus more towards the habitat. If you don't know, you don't know, Jason. So you're right. Like out of pure ignorance, you just don't know. So yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Definitely, it's it's okay and. The, the 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 amount of learning that I've done in the last couple of years has just been, you know, just completely a shift in how I how I approach, you know, not just it, it's you know, it's the habitat management, it's the you know access. I mean, that was stuff that you know I, I didn't intentionally walk in with the wind bad, but there were plenty of times I walked right across the open field and got into my tree stand without any thought for. You know what saw me from 500 yards away up in its bed that never came down because it saw me. So I've I've changed a lot of things just uh, from listening to different people and and ideas. Okay, the lawnmower has left. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no, great points there. I think um, you know you you mentioned in the notes here something about you know when things aren't going well. I guess I want to hear a little bit more about what you thought there, what your thoughts are. I know we can experience droughts and everything else in this world. So, um, you know, let me know what you're thinking there. Yeah, yeah. It's – we um, – being being fairly pretty novice at a lot of this, a lot of times 
A, we, we live in a world of, of instant gratification, and whether we like to admit it or not, you know, we all want to see quick results. You know, I plant a tree, and my expectation is that tree will pay off in years, that I know it's going to be a long time. But there's other projects that I do, that, like the pollinators, that I really hope to see faster progress. Native warm season grasses, I know they take a few years, but I hope to see a really solid stand. And, and we would look at stuff, and I'd just be shaking my head saying, I'm just not seeing the result that I want. It should be better. And, and maybe that comes from driving down the road and seeing a, you know, a, a bean field that, you know, a farmer who does this for a living, it's it's weed free and he's applied. First of all, he's he's done the soil test. He's applied everything the way it's prescribed because that's his living and he, and he counts on that. And I look at some of our projects and they're just not where I think they should be. And we brought out the biologist, uh, I think it was in the fall, and he walked around. We had a, uh, a new planting of native warm season grasses that I was a little frustrated with. And as we walked around, he's, he's picking out, well, there's some and there's some and there's some. And, and it was just an opportunity to have somebody who's got a better eye for what's coming up to identify, you know, here's where you're, you're having more success here than you think. I'm out there on the Habitat Oasis almost every weekend. So I don't see big changes, but I bring the biologist out twice a year, and he'll stand and say, you know, this area has changed so much since you started two years ago, and I see this and I see this. So it's something that in the video that I just put on Habitat Chat this morning, I I talked about it as well, that when I walked from the area where we've been doing mowing, we've been doing some invasive control uh, where we've cleared, you know, I say invasive control, where we've sprayed Lespedeza, we've removed autumn olive, and I go just 75 yards away across the path to where we've done nothing. You really, if you start to look close, you see that you're making progress. And as you said, what's this place going to look like five, ten years down the road? So it, it's something easy to get discouraged. Then you can look and think, you know, things aren't going well. I've seen a lot of people posting recently that, their switchgrass is not doing well this year, and just saw someone say it's been a bad year for switchgrass, and I'm assuming that's that's related to drought and and just uh, environmental conditions. But um, but just recognizing that, that you're going to have some of those that that really take off. We've had some things that were real successful, like our our tree planting. We've been really happy with that. The switchgrass. It seems to be struggling, but I also look. We're going to continue to follow the plan, and um, you know maybe this winter I'll lightly overseed it again. That if it didn't come in like we want, we'll put a little more seed on the ground, and uh, and see what that does for us. Or maybe we give it another year and then look at at going in and and seeding some bare spots. But uh, I, I think I, I see a lot of people ask. You know, I sprayed I sprayed glyphosate last week. I'm not seeing the results. Should I go spray again? And we all want that quick, uh, that quick fix. That I want to see. I sprayed it. I want to see it dead. And when you look two weeks later, you're starting to see the yellow and stuff is is dying off. Uh, clover field. I put down clover seed, and I'm not seeing the germination I want three, four weeks later, and it's just not doing what it is what I want. Should I should I add more seed? We're all so used to that, and I think taking a step back on something, it's great that people ask the questions because I see a very consistent answer. You know, your clover field is going to be much better in year two than it was year one. Give it some time, and oftentimes that's the answer people give is just give it some time, and that's what I'm finding is slow down, take a look, take the small wins. You know, there, there are spots that you see, hey, this it's really coming in well here. Let's give it some time and see how it does on the broader scale. And, you know, there's going to be things that we may just have to redo. I've, I've got some areas that I'm already looking at that um, I did not kill back some of the invasives as well as I should have before I planted. I'll end up probably sacrificing that, that field so that I can get those invasives under control and I'll, I'll replant. Um, I've got an area with some clover in it that I'm, I'm most likely going to do that in the next uh, couple weeks. Just start that one over because the invasives are just thick enough that I'm not going to have the success I want long-term if I don't get them under control. No, I like that point there. I mean, it's easy to get caught up and to, again, back to our earlier, you know, point of the conversation, 
if you don't know, you don't know. So you're you're wait, you're expecting that first year switch to be banging, looking awesome, and then this year has been terrible. Um, speaking from personal experience, well, I was just out of my place crimping in my brassicas with a the roller crimper, and I have switchgrass popping up everywhere in these in these first year areas. Now there's also every other weed known to man in there right now, um, but that's okay. I'm I know that because I have a second year stand right next to it that looks a lot better. Yeah. So it's like it was a terrible year for switch for anybody wondering, but um, the seed is in the ground. It's there. And you know, stratified and, and should be getting going now. But yeah. how are your trees? Did you plant a bunch of trees too? I planted. A, I didn't plant many this year. I planted a bunch um, in the past. Oh no, I planted 250 streamco willow. Yes, I did that. <laughs> I didn't plant very many. Only 250 this year. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I put my kids into into the labor mode, and uh, we planted a bunch. Those are doing well. They were rooted cuttings this yeah. time instead of regular cuttings. I think. I think if you can get your cuttings rooted first, whether it's the dogwood, whether it's the hybrid willow, streamco, they, you know, they they're doing good. But it's That's also great. been a wetter a wetter year. Um, but what I'm noticing, to your point about stepping back and just observing, you know, you, you think like it's just uphill battle all the time. But if you come to my property now and you were there five years ago when I bought it, it is way different you know i have chestnut trees that are flourishing you know apple trees that are should start producing um the brush the the tall screening i've made is just a thick wall now there's scrapes popping up everywhere you know last fall that you know weren't there in years years prior um you know better trail camera pictures bedding happening that i created you know it's just stuff that if you look at the big picture You'd be more satisfied than, yeah, there's too many weeds in my, my food plot or, or whatever. So, yeah. again, now that comes with experience, right? It's not going to – you have to learn yourself, I think. Yeah. We actually have a field uh, – Josh calls it the lone pine. And uh, he he had uh, – was it last year? I think la- – yeah, last year he tilled it and didn't get around to planting anything. And it came up in the thickest stand of ragweed – Actually, he did He did plant, put some clover seed down, and it came up in this stand of ragweed that was, I don't know, thigh high, thick as can be. And it just looked like a total failure as a food plot. He went in, mowed it, he hit it with lime, he hit it with some fertilizer, and this year he has the most amazing clover field. <laughs> nice. It, it is, I mean... When I walked back there, when we we went back and he, to check on it, and I'm like, "This is incredible." I mean, when you talk about transforming this area that was just kind of a a grassy, I think it had been pasture years back, but it's this little pocket where there's all kinds of early successional growth around this little pocket, and now you walk in there, and it's just one of those that it, it's the great example for. You know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, and, you know, some of them you're going to win and it's going to take longer to do. This was a, a, a relatively quick win that it just, it looks amazing. And it's the type of thing that gets you saying, okay, I, I, so I know I can be successful. I just need to, you know, I mean, maybe this other area needs a little more TLC to get it going. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good when you step back and you can see, you know, there are successes here. Big big wins here, small wins here. We're struggling over here, and uh, just keep it in perspective that you know, everything's not going to be a home run every time. Well said. Well, I want to hear about before we wrap this up. I'm sure you have some trail cameras out there. You know, maybe you're one of the guys that keeps it under wraps. But I'm asking now, what do you what do you got floating around? Are you, you know, your food plot plans. Let's hear about the bucks you're after. And you know the food plots you're putting in here yet this year, prior to hunting season. Yeah, I um, I, I have I keep some trail cameras out year round. I actually just went and visited them early June. Um, went out, put in, uh, freshened up some batteries, put out a couple new cameras. We had a company contact us and said, you know, would you be willing to test out our um, our camera 
and um, give us some feedback on it. So I put a couple cameras out. I just picked up cards Sunday. Um, lots of doe activity on this particular site. I've got a, a mineral lick that they have just torn to pieces. A few, a, a couple year and a half bucks. There, there's nothing on there, but I tend to see August, September, I start seeing some of the bigger bucks show up there, so I'm looking forward to seeing what's there. I jumped a couple bucks as I was checking one camera, another just a couple more year and a half bucks. Um, the neighbors that, uh, I don't know, they've got a food plot four or 500 yards from uh, from us. They're saying they're seeing some, some really nice bucks. So I've not gotten anything on camera. It's early. I've only checked cards once. I've actually got all my cameras sitting here getting ready to uh, give them some fresh batteries, get them cleaned up and back into the woods in the next week or two. But um, nothing on there. I did get some nice pictures after season. Uh, so I know we had some survive. So we know there's there's bucks out there. just a matter of getting them back on camera. I put a few more out and um, – this last weekend, I'll get more out this coming weekend. So I'm hoping to have some pictures in the next couple of weeks. But uh, it's uh, we we always get one or two, and I, I had some monsters last year that I didn't hear anyone talk about uh, about shooting them. And I, I stay in touch with all the neighbors pretty close to keep track of who's who's shooting does and what everybody's shooting. So um, didn't get any reports of of any big bucks being taken. I know there were a few around. So. Nothing on camera, and just the next couple weeks, I've got a couple areas that um, I, I've got a clover field that's kind of one of my favorite spots to hunt. I had a buck in there last year, the first night I hunted, that another three or four steps, and I had a shot at him, and uh, so I'll be back in there. He'll, he and other bucks tend to make it into that field um, in September and October. We see them there a lot, so... Um, that that's a field that needs a, a little bit of seed. Uh, it's got some grass that I I hit it with IMOX earlier. It knocked it back. I'm gonna hit it um, one more time and do some overseeding there. Uh, I've got another area. It's kind of a, a new spot that um, I seeded with clover last year. It's coming in. I'll probably hit that with some brassicas and um, see what we can get get going there. But um, Those are the big plans. One of the things I keep thinking I'm going to hit up Al for a good uh, a good fall mix. I've got some areas that are out out in the field that they're, they're not huntable. Um, I'm still trying to control some weeds and just look for a good a good soil building uh, mix that I can plant out there that'll do good in the fall and into the winter. So I figure figure Al's the guy to give me some ideas on that one. Yeah, I bet you're right about that. I think Al will uh, set you in the, the right direction for soil health. We should get him on here to talk soil one last time as well um, this year yet. Yeah, that's that's interesting stuff, and I, I'm seeing more and more people talk about it as, as people start talking a, a little bit more about no-till and, and soil health. It's it's kind of interesting to see it get catching on more. Al got, my, uh, got me interested in it, and the more I've read about it, we're, we're – Right now, there's no plans to get the tiller out. Um, you know, for, for for those who who choose to, you know, that's just a, a choice. You know, everybody's got their own approach and, and what they believe in. Nobody wants to feel like they're wasting their time and and doing something that uh, isn't going to be successful. So, whatever, whatever, wherever you find your success, like we're trying to find it uh, with as little tilling as possible. But uh, we still got the tillers. They may they may make an appearance here and there, but. Uh, Trying to focus on that soil health, and and especially as I mentioned, with with soil that's 12 inches before you get to you know really garbage, we're really trying to figure out how do we improve that so that um, we have as much success as possible. Well, Jason, that was an awesome chat. I appreciate you hopping on and and the updates for the Habitat Oasis. Why don't you you know wrap and tell everybody how they can find you and your your YouTube channel to follow along and. Um, See what you're up to. I just I really enjoy your videos, so please keep pumping them out. And thanks for doing that. Great, yeah, we definitely will. Um, yeah, thanks for letting me plug the the YouTube channel. It's uh, if you're if you're go out to YouTube, give it a search for Hardy Brothers Outdoors. Uh, 
we've got a lot of content, a wide range of content. We've kind of fallen into a spot where some of our tractor content has really taken off, you know, just talking about compact tractors. Uh, but for those that are interested in habitat management, we, we've got a whole playlist around the, um, the Habitat Oasis project and what we're doing back there. And it's, you know, where are we having success? What projects are we doing? Where are we having success? How are we doing things? Uh, so we're tracking some things there. So if you're interested in that, you can check there. We are on Facebook, also uh, a group, Hardy Brothers Outdoors. We're on Instagram under Hardy Brothers Outdoors. So all of those areas, um, you can find us. Anytime, you know, we are, I mentioned, we're on the end of the spectrum where we're soaking up a ton of information. So if anyone sees stuff and has ideas that, hey, you may want to, you know, change up your approach to this or that, always interested in learning. So if you got feedback, um, open to it. So definitely share. But, yeah, I appreciate you having having me on again. Always good to, to catch up, hear what you're doing and share what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the to the fall. Hopefully we all get some big bucks on uh, camera so we're chasing. I know you're – looks like you're going to be doing some hunting down this way uh, with Brian and the group out by Zanesville. Exactly. My, my lawnmower friend is back. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll be down – Zanesville is where the that lease is. How far are you from there? I was going to ask you that privately. Yeah, I'm about um, – you know, I live about an hour from there. The Habitat Oasis project is – uh, probably an hour and a half from Zanesville. It's it's there's no good direct route to get there. It's, there there's a real straight path. Uh, you can draw a straight line, but the roads between there are twice as long as the straight line will be because they curve through the the, the back ba- uh, backwoods of Southeast Ohio. But uh, yeah, we're not too far away. So it's uh, you guys make it uh, make it down sometime that uh, the schedule's not completely filled with uh, with work and uh, hunting. Let us know, and we'll, we'll swing out or get you guys to the Habitat Oasis to, to check things out. That'd be awesome, Jason. And thanks for hopping on today again. Uh, look forward to catch up with you here in the future. And, you know, shoot straight this fall, buddy. Yeah, you as well. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. <laughs>